0: All right, praise God, okay. Uh, So as I was saying, today we will begin our Advent series of peace, hope, love, and joy leading up to Christmas. Uh, Again, it's an opportunity for us to refocus, to reshape our minds as we we enter into remember that our King has come 2,000 years ago to earth. And so uh, Advent is simply the coming, is is what that word Advent means. It's something that the church has celebrated and participated in for a, a long time. Um, and, And the reason why we do that is because we're very similar to Israel in the Old Testament. As the Old Testament was ending, Israel was prayerfully and just waiting in expectation for their Messiah to come. And then Jesus came. And so just like them, we get the opportunity to look back and celebrate, man, Jesus has come But then we get to look forward to the fact that his promise is that he's going to come again. And so every year we get this opportunity to remind ourselves that Jesus has come and will come again. And so I'd like to invite you to open up to the book of Philippians uh, chapter 4. And and before uh, I start to speak on that, I want to give you a little context as to how we get to this particular letter. So Philippians chapter 4. It's, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul planted this church in the city of Philippi. Uh, it started with a very mixed group of people. Uh, in, in chapter uh, 16 of the book of Acts is where you'll find that. But uh, we learned from that chapter that this Philippian church was started with a core team, starting with a fashionista named Lydia from uh, Asia. So that was really interesting to start a church with that. Uh, Then they had a Roman blue-collar guard, prison guard. And then they had a girl, possibly, who was possessed by demons that was a part of their church. So you should read that a little bit later. I think if if you take some time this week and look at Acts 16 and read through that, you'll see that, man, God started with a really confusing bunch of people because... Let's be honest. That's not the A team that you pick up for church planning. Like it's 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 not the people that you would point to and say, "Hey, let's let's plant a church with these people. They're really eclectic. Let's have some fun." Um, and so, but that's how the way God's always worked, right? He's He's taken the unlikely to do the impossible. He's done the same thing here. I mean, Austin is 24 years old and, and is newly married as of a year and a half ago. I'm a pastor from a church that is completely different than this one. And we're right here right now. We have a worship leader who works for an organization called Huddle, and they can't even spell the word Huddle. Like, I, I mean, there's people from all kinds of places, a bunch of misfits brought together to plant this church. So praise God that he uses the unlikely to do his bidding. And so Paul wrote a letter to his church for the purpose of encouragement and, and the, to give them joy in their perseverance. Uh, so while he was writing this letter, though, he was in jail. So Paul was locked up, and the church was going through a severe persecution. So think about it this way. You get together with a group of your friends and people, and you plan a church, and it's successful. Like, it's, it's going really well. They're vibrant. You're worshiping Jesus. But then your pastor gets arrested. And then after your pastor gets arrested, you hear news that folks are being killed and locked up for their faith. Now, I don't know about you, but if that's a dire circumstance that I'm going through... I'm probably going to be a bit anxious about it, right? Like, I don't know what the future is going to hold for my new church. And so I'm assuming that that's probably what these people were going through in our text. And, and I can kind of understand the feeling, right? Like, not, maybe not fully. Like, nobody's getting locked up for their faith. Nobody's getting killed for their faith. But there are a lot of unknowns for me. Like, going into church plant, I didn't know that all of you would be in the room. I didn't know that there would be enough people to show up and worship and praise Jesus. I didn't know how well my family would handle the transition from one church to another. I didn't know that we would have staff. I didn't know we'd have this building. There was just a lot of unknowns. I didn't know whether or not we'd make it through the core team phase. I still don't know. Um, No, we will finish the core team phase and we will launch in January, but... Just, there's a lot of unknowns, and and life has that, right? Like, life has a laundry list of unknowns. There are so many future things that are outside of our control. Every season, every year has its own set of difficulties, its own set of problems that we cope with, deal with, or try to handle. Let me give you some of the examples. So, if you're a college student or a high school student, you're probably sitting in the room, you're thinking about the future, and you're like, okay, where am I going to go to college? Am I going to go to college? If I do, will I graduate? What kind of job will I be able to get with my degree? Are you sure you want to commit to doing that one thing for the rest of your life? Because I have a business degree and I'm doing this. So just all kinds of questions. Where will you live? How are you going to pay your bills? Will you be able to move to a different location and meet new friends and start your life all over? When are you going to find a spouse? When are you going to get married? Or others of us are thinking through, man, how are we going to afford to pay off our debt? Can we really afford to have one more kid, or should we have kids at all? Is our kids, are our kids going to be ugly? Like, you got to ask that question. That's got to be a fearful thought when you're having new people. Uh, Are we going to make enough money for vacation this year? Or you get the what ifs. What if? We don't build enough for retirement. What if he or she doesn't love me in our old age? What if my kids don't act the way I want them to act? What if the car breaks down? What if, what if, what if? You just fill in the blank. We got plenty of them. And so a lot of time, what happens is when we get get in that place, we don't actually handle it very well. Our passage this morning actually addresses our heart issue when it comes to The ebbs and flows of our life. And so let me let me show you verse six in the first part of it. A it says, do not be anxious about anything. So my first point is we have a problem. So wait a minute. What did Paul just say? He said, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a little confused because if you remember, this church is being persecuted Like, if you remember, there's a Roman emperor named Nero who's just one of the most vicious people to rule the earth. And what he's doing, he's not only locking up Christians, but he's burning them like candles in his yard. Not because they've committed some heinous crime that they deserve punishment for, but because they worship Jesus. Because of their faith, they're being massively persecuted. He's given the green light to Roman soldiers to bust down the door, take their loved ones, lock them up or kill them, and also take their life as well. And Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Really? Not helpful, right? Like, you tell me not to be anxious in the midst of that. That's not going to be helpful. But here's why this matters for us this morning. It's not to take our circumstances and compare them to the Philippians and try to minimize our issues. That's that's not the point here. Paul is actually commanding us not to be anxious. And so when you see Paul give a command, that is a command from God which says that if we are worried or stressed out or overwhelmed or allow anxiety to rule our hearts, it's sin. It's sin. And it's one of those sins that culturally we just kind of tolerate, as that's just a part of life. It's one of those sins that it consumes us. We allow one thing to rule and ruin everything else. Now, I'm not trying to make us feel bad in the room, especially those of us who struggle with um, a clinical anxiety. That's, That's not where I'm going with this. What I'm saying is anxiety, stress, and worry is a sin just like every other sin in our life. And it warrants us to vigorously fight it and kill it in our life. Here's what Jesus said about it to his disciples in Matthew 6, through six thirty four. It says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So when we talk about anxiety, it gets this stigma, right? Where some of us are in the room thinking, man, I don't know if I really struggle with that. I, I don't think I I struggle with anxiety or stress or being overwhelmed. Here's the issue with that. When you look at the text here, it doesn't have an asterisk by it. It doesn't actually have a preface where it says, if you struggle with anxiety, or for those of you in the room who struggle with anxiety, it doesn't say that. In fact, he's addressing the entire church. He's saying, all of y'all, y'all, struggle with this. The truth is, we all struggle with it. We just all deal with it differently. So some of us, we wear it on our sleeve. Like everybody in the room knows you're anxious or struggling with stress. And so what that looks like is that you you become a little grumpy at times. You become a little prickly toward other people. And and everything starts to build up and get, get anxious for you to the point where everything, you're like, I just give up today. It's over. Some of us... We work out our anxieties on our hobbies, jobs, or our homes, the fixer-upper types. So what we start to do is we vigorously put our stuff, our stuff to the side and start to work on things that we can actually control just to make the things that we're going through more palatable. And so we take it out on our jobs and our hobbies so that we have a little something that we can control. Others of us, which is my personal go-to, is we just bury it. And we, we go into a state of apathy toward life's issues. And, and so we brush it off and say, ain't no thing, it'll be all right, no big deal. I'll handle it, I'll muscle through, I'll, I'll, I'll tough it out. Plus, I know that God won't give me anything I can't handle until he does. See, God will give you things that you can't handle, but he won't give you things that he can't handle. See, we try to tough it out, we fool ourselves into thinking that life isn't going to affect our mental capacities, our physical and emotional capacities, when in all reality, if we have anxiety, if we have stress, or if we're overwhelmed, it's exposing something in our heart. It's exposing that we're trusting in our circumstances, in our own strength, rather than the promises and the strength of our God. See, typically, when when I'm stressed out, nobody actually knows that I am. Except for maybe one person. Heck, I half the time don't know that I'm stressed out. But here, here's, here's some indicators for me. My physical body starts to attack me when I'm stressed out. Like, literally, my back starts to ache, and I feel like an 85-year-old man. Like, it starts to hurt. I can't stand. The staff's looking at me. Why is he so uncomfortable in his seat? And it's because my back, literally, is hurting really bad, okay? Okay? About a month ago, my wife, Colleen, comes to me and says, hey, you okay? Everything all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Why? She's like, well, you haven't been as joyful as you've been lately. Uh, You've been really short with the kids, and I feel distance from you. And come to find out, well, I was pretty anxious Pretty anxious about what is to come or what isn't to come or any kind of fabrication of that. And and, and I want to tell you, this is sin in my life. This is sin in your life. We don't keep this command of God very well. So I heard someone explain it this way here's what anxiety is it's borrowed stress. It's borrowed because it never actually comes down to the current circumstance, but what may or may not come, or what may or may not be ahead of us, is, is what that struggle is. We have to ask the question of, how is this going to play out? It's a worrying about something that we've actually imagined in our own minds and hearts, and, and we do it so continually over and over and over again that some people might think it's a hobby in your life, right? Like... It's not fun. But let me explain. So here's how this works. Raise your hand in the room if you know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. Okay. What about this afternoon? No? What about five minutes from now? Do you know exactly what's going to happen five minutes from now? No? Nobody in the room knows. However, we still act and function as if we can. We still act and function as if we know exactly what's going to happen in the future. We think of our future reality, and we make up the worst case scenario possible and assume that's exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. We imagine it in our own minds that that's what's going to happen, so we freak out about it, but we have to ask, why? Why do we do that? Because we created a future vision of our life that's not even here yet. Doesn't that sound crazy? Doesn't that sound crazy? But in the moment, it is so real, is it not? Like, we feel that. Like, that is so real to us. City Light, can I ask you an honest question this morning? What are you anxious about? What keeps you up at night so that you can't sleep? What future imaginative possibility are you anxious about and just tolerating as a part of life? It's a real sin. We all wrestle with it. It needs to to begin to be killed in our life. Now, here's, the, here, here's something that I don't want. Now, we know the answer isn't just stop it. Just stop being anxious. Don't be stressed out. Don't be overwhelmed. Like, God's like, all right, don't be anxious. And so it's like, okay, I'm processing that in my mind. Okay, God doesn't want me to be anxious. I'm not anxious no more. And then life happens again, right? So we know that he's not telling us that. We know that that's not how it works. So my first point, my second point, sorry, my second point is, God's provision. Look at what we, what he says in verse 7. It says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. Listen to me. Don't miss this. When we were in our difficult places, when we're having the most difficult day, not the things aren't going well in our life, when our circumstances would, would naturally cause us to be anxious or overwhelmed or stressed, here's what God says, God's provision for us is peace. His provision isn't taking away the circumstance or making you feel like it's over or going to be done with or, or not to be mindful of it. In No, in the midst of your hardest times, in the midst of the chaos of life, God says, no, I will give you my presence of peace. What we view as peace is not probably the same way as God would view peace, is it? Our assumption in peace is that our circumstances change and therefore we get peace or or the removal of an obstacle or it's. The absence of difficulty that brings about peace. Isn't that the way we think usually? So when I get this promotion at this job, everything will be kosher. We'll, we'll have peace. Or, or when my kids get older in a different season of life, that's when I'll have peace. When I graduate and find the job that I love, then I'll experience peace. When I do this or when I get this, then I'll finally have peace. We know this is how we function, but we know it's not true, too, don't we? We know that even though the thing that we say we want or that we're going to get that's going to bring us peace, we know that once we get it, it won't. It won't bring about the peace. There's no circumstance. There's no job. There's no relationship that will provide the peace that seeks to guard our hearts from the anxieties that come with life. In verse 7, there's a word there that says guard. Guard is like protective custody. So the provision of God is peace that keeps us from the sin of anxiety. And so uh, it watches over us on a full-time basis. It's like having an eternal security guard on full-time workload on our hearts and on our minds is what the God of peace is providing because it isn't a peace that actually comes from this world. It says it's unceasing, basically. So how do we get there? Right? So so how do we get this peace that God is calling us into? I think there's probably three ways in this passage that, that God outlines for us. And so I'm gonna look at verse four through five. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Rejoice always, is Paul's answer. I don't know about you, but he is starting to seem really unpractical right now. Rejoice. Again, he's got a persecuted church and us in the worst of worst of situations, in the most stressful environments that we can have in in the week, the day, the month, the year, the season. And he's saying rejoice. That makes me uncomfortable. But notice the object of the rejoicing. The object, it says rejoice in the Lord. And then it continues on to say in the Lord is at hand. Let me translate that for you. Peace comes when we are happy in the Lord and the knowledge that he is present with us in our circumstances. We can take comfort that we aren't going through it alone. We can rejoice. We can rejoice because our king is greater and nearer than our current problem. He is so much bigger. He doesn't necessarily minimize our issue, but maximizes the grace that he has on us. Don't you see it? That's why we're here. That's, that's why we're going through the Advent series. That's why we celebrate Advent because 2,000 years ago, our King came down. Jesus came to earth so that we can have peace. And we get to celebrate that over and over and over again because we have Christmas every year, but then we have every single Sunday where we get to gather and celebrate that our King has come. Jesus came so that we can forego our sinful tendency of anxiety and stress and experience immeasurable peace that only comes from Him and His grace. Now, when I read this this week, though, I asked myself, am I supposed to be happy about my bad circumstances? Is that what Paul's calling me into when he says rejoice? But then as I thought about it, I remembered an email that I got about eight years ago from a friend. So what a lot of you don't know is that I was married prior to meeting my wonderful wife, Colleen. My former wife passed away in a car accident, and uh, we were married for almost about two years. And when that happened, I was put in a place where just dozens of unknowns, I don't know what's going to happen next, Because here's what happened. She led me to know Jesus, like she shared the gospel with me. We had a life planned for the future. We were planning to have a family together, and then all of a sudden, that was removed from the equation. It wasn't an option, and so I was left with more questions than answers about life. And so I wrote a letter during the funeral for for celebration of her life, and I had a friend of mine read it to the entire group. And then we had uh, worship music come on, and as it was playing, we processioned out uh, of the, the funeral place. And a couple days later, I got this email from a friend of mine and said, I finally know what it means to rejoice in the Lord always and know that he's near. The reason why my friend said that, because as I was walking out, he was able to see me He saw me walking out in one of the most sorrowful moments of my life, crying, tears streaming down my face. And in a moment, I'm praising God in a joyous song as loud as I can. So after reading that, I reflected on that moment. I said, what caused that? I know what caused that. Joy did not come from the fact that my circumstances were going to get better. Joy didn't come from the fact that the next morning I was going to wake up and it's going to be as if it never happened. No, joy comes from no other thing than the fact that my Lord is near to me now and always will be. I knew that going into That I clung to this particular passage during that time. Morning and night, I would read it and pray through it, and God comforted me and gave me peace. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, he said, be anxious about nothing, Pray about everything. So, if you are to study the Bible, the New Testament is written in Greek. And you see a word, anything or everything, i got to tell you what that means. Anything and everything. That's what it means. So when you look at the Bible and you see those words, that's what he means. So what you're, what you're seeing here is he's using two absolute terms. Anything, everything. Okay? So here's a question. What's your instinctual response when that anxiety starts to filter into your heart? Is it the roof is caving in, metaphorically speaking? Is it to go retreat into something else as if it's not there? Is it phoning a friend to gripe about it and complain about it? What is the first responder of your turmoil in your life? Paul says it this way. He says, in everything, let that person you go to be God. Let him be your go to. Right. That's what he's saying here. He says, pray. But I don't know about you again. Why would we pray to him? He already knows. Right. So why would I go to him in prayer? And if he's not going to change my circumstance, then why would I ask? Because how is his peace going to help me when I don't have enough money in the bank and the rents due? How is that going to give me peace when my kids are going bonkers and it doesn't look like they're going to calm down in the foreseeable future? How is it going to help me when I fail my class and so therefore I'm going to have to go to school for another semester before I graduate? How is that going to help? As we've talked about time and time again, though, God is not after changing our circumstances necessarily, He wants to change our hearts. He wants to make your heart and my heart start to see things the way he would see them. Prayer isn't as much about changing your circumstances as much as it is about changing your heart. Listen to this. One of the primary functions of prayer is to align your heart, our heart, with God's. You hear that? One of the primary functions of prayer is to align our hearts with God's heart. So God brings about peace in our heart if we incline that heart toward him. So he's, I mean, isn't that a beautiful, amazing thing for God to say, hey, if you draw near to me, if you bring your heart to me, and when you're in desperate places, I'll give you peace. So how else are we supposed to give, get this peace if we don't start to move our hearts toward him so that he can guard our hearts? It's an amazing tool that God has given us in prayer. Peace doesn't come from the absence of your current circumstances, but from entering into the presence of the goddess of peace. So as I said before, I memorized this passage when I was going through my trial and struggling through anxiety of what's going to happen next. And as I memorized it, I put some of it in practice, specifically this one. This prayer portion here is what I put into practice. Here's why. There's not a single person in my life at the time or now that could have enough understanding to make me feel better about it. There's not a single phrase that somebody could have said that was going to make me feel better about my life. The only thing, the only thing that helped was taking my heart to the God of the universe and allow him to speak truthfully to me. Then and only then was I able to receive peace that surpasses all understanding. And I still don't get it. Like, even today, I don't understand it, and I know the reason why I don't, because it's not of this world, but he gave me peace. God desires to be a part of every aspect of your life. This is why Paul says in our passage, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. This is a call for us to invite God into our hearts and into our minds in the middle of our circumstances. And then finally, he gives us a third one. He says, in verse eight, it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any worthy, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, pause for a minute. He's not saying, think happy thoughts and all these things are going to go away. That does not work. This ain't Oprah, okay? Like, um, sorry, uh, sorry. He's not saying think happy thoughts. This is for us to take an inventory of our life. A good challenge or illustration to use for this is take two pieces of paper. On the first piece of paper, write down every single bad thing that has ever happened to you in your life. All of them. Not having enough money, failing health conditions, tensions in your family, going through a vicious breakup. And some of us are going to have long lists here. We're going to have long lists. But then take the other piece of paper. Write down everything that has ever happened to you that is good and that you be thankful for. Your family, Jesus' grace, food, clothes, shoes. And after doing this, I guarantee you that one list is going to be longer than the other, and that's the good list. That good list, I can guarantee you, will be longer. Now, some of us in the room, though, are looking up and saying, but you don't know my situation. Some of us are saying, you don't know how hard it is right now. And I'm going to tell you, I don't. I have no clue what's going on in your life. But let me press in a little bit. Let's take a short inventory right now and just look at it. Let's look at some of the things that we just take for granted. Now, everybody in the room, follow after me and go, that wasn't cyanide, that was oxygen. Oxygen. So you can breathe. That's, that's one, right? Like, you can breathe clean air. You have ears to hear me yell at you. Like, that's helpful. The ability to walk or run. In this moment, none of us in the room are fearing for our life. Netflix. I mean, come on, Gilmore Girls. It's coming. All right? So we have heat and central air. Like all of these things, and I know you know where I'm going with this, right? Like the list goes on and on and on for the things that we can be thankful for, for the things that are good in our life. And as a Christian, you can look at this same text and say, God is true. God is honorable. He is just. He's pure. He's lovely. He's commendable. He's excellent. He is worthy of praise. So in conclusion, City Light, God's not going to promise you that your life is going to get easier. In fact, he, he promises the exact opposite of that. In John 16, here's what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Cancer could come. Your job could go away. Your spouse could get in a car accident and die. Your house could burn to the ground. Your life could be snuffed out in the moment. And God is not promising peace based on the world. Jesus' promise here is that He's overcome it. That He has not made it better, not made it more bearable for you but that he's overcome it altogether. So even the worst nightmare in the darkest season of your life, Jesus is assuring us that he's overcome the world. Isaiah 9, 6. Here's what it says about Jesus. It says, Jesus is the prince of peace. For the person that has trusted in Jesus for salvation, there's actually nothing to fear in this life. The greatest fear is eternal separation from God. Like, that's the single most fearful thing that any human being can have is eternal separation from God. It's not whether or not your puppy's going to die. It's not losing your job or not getting a promotion, losing your house. The greatest fear is separation from God. And if we trust in Jesus for salvation, that fear is also removed. Jesus has put an end to our greatest fear of being separated from God by dying on the cross for our sins and raising from the grave, providing an overwhelming conclusion that he has overcome sin, Satan, and death. Once we see the beauty of that reality, once we see that clearly that he has done that, everything else in life seems smaller. And his peace is provided to us in such a massive way. So we can rejoice always. We can openly come to our Father and talk to him in prayer. You can talk to the God of the universe. And we can remember that all the good things that God has done for us and brought us in this life because he sent the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.